Yes, exactly. Exactly. It was just a very weird time. There were so many of us who were displaced. I mean, they took us. We we didn't have transcripts. We had nothing. They uh, they donated all of our books. I mean, I had a, a girl um, offer me free housing while I lived there. I mean, it was it was just such a crazy crazy experience. Hi there, it's Chris Osborne, and I am so excited to be back at the mic for another episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast. I haven't gotten the pleasure of doing this in a while. Michael's been handling some of the podcast hosting duties, but today I've got a special treat because I get to interview somebody I've been getting to know a little bit. I think it started through LinkedIn, uh, but it also picked up with uh, a training that I attended uh, for civil collaborative practice here in uh, North Carolina. And we had a fantastic uh, crew of guests, actually. And one of them was the very dynamic and engaging Winter Wheeler, uh, who practices law in Atlanta. And she's going to tell us about Winter. Uh, just introduce yourself to listeners. Tell us uh, a little bit about kind of what your journey has been, you know, uh, where you practice now. But start with kind of where did you practice uh, when you first came out of school and what were your kind of plans and designs and how they kind of shifted over time? Oh, goodness. I don't know if I can do better than the intro you've already, <laughs> you've already given for me. That was very kind. Um, I Let's see. I graduated from law school in 2006, and I was one of those lawyers who didn't really ever mean to be a lawyer. <laughs> Okay. Um, I went, yeah, you know, I, I went to law school literally because I had no idea what else to do with myself. Um was there anything that, with not knowing what to do, was there anything that said, well, law is at least a place to, to try or what, what was your thinking there? Yeah. You know, honestly, I come from a, I come from a long line of lawyers, doctors and lawyers, and I can't do math. So being a doctor was out of the question. My father was very, very disappointed. Um, he really, I think he wanted me to take over his practice one day, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, like I was saying, I have lots of lawyers around me too. And um, I went through this really crazy experience um, living in Madrid. I was living in Spain during 9-11. Um, okay. And I guess, let me back up a little bit farther than that. Why yeah. was I in Spain? Um, I went to Georgetown University, and I was in the School of Foreign Service. Wow, okay. So, yes. And that had been a dream of mine since I was pretty young. I decided when I was 14, um, 14, 15, that that's where I wanted to go to school. Okay. Um, and I'm very goal oriented. Because it was like anything. DC and it was politics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to get into diplomacy. Politics has always been a passion. Um, and so I knew that was where I wanted to be. And one of the criteria for being admitted into that program is fluency in another language. Um, I was pretty lucky. I was already pretty good with Spanish. Um when I made that decision and then focused on doing that. Ended up moving to Spain for about a year, went to university there. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, 9-11, I, I was in Madrid on 9-11. And wow. it was a terrible experience, to put it mildly. I'm laughing, but it was not funny right, at the right. time at all. Um, it was, And it was so traumatic. 
um, how the goodness, and I don't want to say anything too negative, but the way that the Spaniards responded to 9-11, the way they responded to me at the time was very, very uncomfortable. In what sense? And, like, can you put some some flesh on that? Like uh, a lot of like. I knew you were gonna ask that. Presumptions. <laughs> I, I know I've had some friends who lived in Spain. They had some dealings with uh, Morocco. They were in Granada, so Morocco mm-hmm. right across the sea there. Yeah. They were they they described sometimes some of the tensions and kind of you know. Yeah. So, that sometimes might erupt. Right. So it was a really weird situation at the time. Spain was receiving a lot of black immigrants. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of xenophobia around these people who were coming in um, in droves. Sure. Um, so that was one issue. Um, I was frequently mistaken for an immigrant um, as opposed to an American who was just kind of <laughs> visiting for a while, um, which would have been fine. I mean, I don't care. Um, but I was treated differently as a result. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was told I couldn't board a bus one time. I was oh told, yeah, I was told, um, that I could get on the bus, but I had to, I had to get on after everyone else. Um, and it was insane because I had to take this bus like 30 minutes to get to school every single day. Oh, no. It, it's like yeah, a city it, bus. This is not like just yeah, a this is a city thing. bus. Like yeah, so yeah. You would think they had, and what town were you in? Were you in, did you say Madrid? I was in Madrid okay. and I lived in this part of town called Goya. Right. And it is, I mean, it's in the city center. It's like where everyone goes to do all of their higher end shopping. The people who live here are pretty wealthy. Yeah. Um, I was living with a host family and I got lucky in that regard. Um, They had a great place for me to live. But (laughs) I think part of that (laughs) is what ultimately ended up happening to me. So I was, I was struggling anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I think I got to Madrid in um, mid August, and it so was. So you hadn't was, even been there long. You hadn't even no, really made it to. No. Months. And did you not have any all. people there that you knew from the program or any I, other? I did. So you know, listen these these questions are just you're getting a lot out of me today. Um, <laughs> I don't usually talk about this ever. Yeah. But um, when I moved there, um, I had a boyfriend. Um, he was he was there. He was was is he still alive? He is still Spanish. Um, <laughs> he did not he was that. yes. He has not given that up. He um, he was living there. I was with him. I spent a lot of time with him, his friends, his family, um, and I did. I had American friends who were from from school or whatever. Yeah, uh, but that didn't help. <laughs> that no, actually, it, didn't, it didn't help. It did not help. It actually made things worse. Um, the anti-American sentiment that, I mean, it was so, so strong. Yeah. Um, there were some people who were sympathetic to the plight, and then many, but many others were just like, you know, Americans are, are terrible. You all deserve it. We don't care. We're going to make jokes about it. We don't care that you're American and you're, oh <laughs> you're, you're hearing this, You're right? checking almost all the wrong boxes, uh, it, it, it sounds yes. like. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so for me at the age of 19, 20, um, it was 
a sign that I was headed in the wrong direction. Okay. So, you know, at the time I was really in love with my boyfriend and um, we talked about me staying there. I mean, no, not at the time. It was during that year because 9-11 was so so soon after I got there. Um, but it was like, no, I can't do that. So, it, I mean, it changed the entire trajectory of my life and where I saw it going because I definitely saw myself um, staying in Madrid, building my life with him, frankly. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the one. I mean, I've, I've known him. We're still really good friends. I've known him since I was 15. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. We have just been besties like our whole lives, essentially at this point, I'm almost 40. And so, um, I realized I had to give him up that up because I could not stay there. And because of the climate, because of the, be, the yes, I was like, it was just the disconnect was too great. Like you weren't being welcomed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I mean, of, I have, I have like, you, you think Americans are racist. Like <laughs> it was like racism light. <laughs> you know, and it's, it, I feel weird to hear that because there's part of it's like, well, thank God it's not just us. But then I'm like, no, that's not. <laughs> to be other places. Oh my god. Or worse. That's that's terrible, actually. But you know, you want the yeah. But no, you don't. You don't want it to be anywhere. Um. But yeah. So no, no, I I, I get I get what you. That, that was probably not saying. in the brochure. I would imagine, though, for the for the study abroad program was not come here and this is what's going to no, happen. No, no, and I think you oh. know you know part of that was n- not not everybody goes there already with like a man (laughs) in mind Um, and with this kind of um, immersion into Spanish culture and into the country that I had. So I I get that a lot of people are far more um, protected, um, insulated, isolated, all of that. So it was definitely different for me. But anyway, the experience revealed to me that I did not want to continue in the vein of going into the foreign service where you can't pick where you go. Um, and I just, I was like, you know, I, I can't, I can't do that. So, but of course at the time I'm a junior, um, and I'm living abroad. There's very little I can do about that. If I want to graduate on time, I'm not changing my major. Um, Georgetown is extremely expensive. I was not changing right. my major. I was so, just talking with a buddy last week, actually, who went to that went to Georgetown also because of okay. Japanese. He had taken Japanese at uh, at an immersion level at some point, and then he tried to go to I think George Mason, and he placed out of everything they had, and so he transferred to Georgetown because they've got you know they've got a great language program for exactly. all those things because they're training so many future diplomats and things like that being there. Right. In so, but you're there as a junior. Now what? Right. <laughs> so, um, I stuck it out. I finished the year. Like I said, I'm very goal oriented. Nothing was going to keep me from finishing that year. I did. Um, I went back to DC and kind of just had like an existential crisis once I was like back in the states where I was like, okay, wait, you're a senior now. You have to make a decision. Yeah. Um, in my had first, you broken de- up with a boyfriend. I have to ask. Was that no, no? Yeah, y'all were so y'all were still trying to make that work. We were still like like young fools, right? <laughs> I don't know anybody who can like still <laughs> exactly. I don't know anybody like that. Uh, we were still trying to make that work. We were together for um, 
Oh gosh. Maybe another eight months. Okay. So it, yeah, it, it continued. Okay. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't know what to do with myself. And I don't, I don't even know where I want to live. I don't know where I want to go. And I told my parents that I was going to take a year off. I was just going to come home and figure things out and come home. Well, and they home, said, where did you grow up? I'm from Miami. Okay. So I'm from Miami, okay. Florida. And so my parents were like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lovingly, no, you're I'm not. Sure. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, real lovingly. Um, they're like, we thought, no, well, it already happened. We're not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> we were not expecting you to come back. Yes. So they said, um, well, they said that it was fine if I came home, but I had to have a job, okay. um, and not just like a job, but like I needed a career. I needed to figure this out, or I needed to go to grad school. Um, and what was logical was what everyone else was doing who wasn't going directly into the foreign service. And that was law school. And right. I come from a bunch of lawyers. So my okay. parents were like, just go to law school. So I applied um, <laughs> and then just decided I was like, New Orleans seems like a really awesome place to live. <laughs> so I went to Tulane. Tulane what? Okay. I mean, great school, but what a way to pick your school, right? Right. It seems like it'll be fun. It, actually, it was... uh, I, I wish Michael were here, because my, my partner in real time, because he actually spent a year as a career counselor at Tulane Law School, believe it or oh, not. Oh, really? He was in practicing New Jersey. He had his existential crisis, like, I don't like this litigation thing at all. What am I going to do? You know, he had practiced for six years. I think he realized a couple years in it wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. He decided to, he, he, he got out of law, but he wasn't sure what he was going to do. So he went and was career counselor down there. But this would have been okay. like, I think it would have been 80, 88-ish probably. So he probably would have beat you by a little bit. Um, but, Just but yeah, a little. <laughs> the mystique of New Orleans lures people from all over. Come and figure it out. <laughs> Listen, I still get to New Orleans as often as I can. I love it there. sure. Um so I, I I do. I end up going to New Orleans, um, and that was its own thing. Um, but, you know, I graduated in 2006. Um, I moved to – where did I move? I went to Tampa first. Okay. That was the first place I went. So when I was in law school, I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my uncle, who is a – renowned criminal defense attorney oh wow um in south florida right. and um i spent a summer working with him and his work i mean he he's just amazing his work was amazing it was a great time and so his advice to me was to either become a prosecutor or a public defender and get that really good training to start right. so i was you know i was in the criminal defense clinic at tulane um which was an unreal experience Tulane is known for that clinic in general but right. when I was in it this just like my whole story sounds so dramatic no, <laughs> it's good because part of what I love people seeing is that the route for so many of us is always circuitous like yeah also sort of sometimes impresses on you this sort of myth of ah you recruit and you get a job and that's it forever right and like there's very few people's stories in reality you know, oh, it, and, it and certainly not like serendipitous <laughs> moments and wrong. What 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 might what felt like a right turn? I've had a few of those that thought they were the right turn and they were wrong turns, <laughs> but they got me somewhere else. You know, so yes. I love this this piece of it. This I think yeah. this is fascinating. So, um, Hurricane Katrina 
uh, was 2005. Um, it was wow. fall of 2005. So I had spent my summer um, working for a law firm. And the law firm was actually located in Stewart, Florida. This is the okay. Gary the the Gary firm, um, the very very famous <laughs> Willie Gary. Uh, oh, I wow. worked for his firm, and so what we did that summer was also very very cool. We spent the entire summer in Gainesville, Florida, which is where the University of Florida is located. Yes. and we were we were trying a case. We were trying a case against Anheuser Busch. It was. It was crazy. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so I spent a summer living in a a residence inn because Mr. Gary, <laughs> he's very superstitious. He's had good outcomes when he stays at that re- old residence inn, and that's where we went. Looking um, at the secrets of big time trial <laughs> practice. <laughs> indeed, Do not stay in Motel indeed. Six. That's Bad. No, Motel Six bad. Everything good. good. <laughs> That's so um, we did that, and uh, so I was in Gainesville for a very long time. And I mean, I'm a Floridian. Like Gainesville is not like an odd place for me. I right. I love Florida in general, um, and so I packed up my stuff that summer, uh, drove back to New Orleans, and I was back in Gainesville within a couple of weeks. Um, it was the obvious choice for me when we could no longer go back to New Orleans. We, um, my boyfriend at the time and I evacuated together to Atlanta. So, right. So now I live in Atlanta. So we came to Atlanta at first. Um, he had lived here before, so he had a bunch of friends. So we were just kind of like trying to keep our sanity and enjoy the yeah, time that yeah. we had. So we were going out, hanging out with people. And I was like, oh, Atlanta is really awesome. This is like such a great place. Um, but when it came down to realizing that we were definitely not going back to New Orleans, I was like, the only thing that really makes sense for me is to either go back home, go to the University of Miami, something like that. Um, but my boyfriend had gone to the University of Florida for undergrad. So we decided, and it's a shorter drive, so we decided to go to the University of Florida. Um, So I was back in Gainesville. Did you have two years left or one year left at that point? It was one. It was one. So So you were 2L. I was uh, a 3L during the You you were a 3L, right, exactly. Okay, so you finished at Florida. No. Oh, no, wait, no. No. So I did one semester in, in Florida. Okay. And then we got to go back for our last semester. So Florida. did they do like distance learning? Um, no, 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 no. I enrolled directly into the University of Florida. Oh, okay. So you kind of got to be, since you were displaced from Tulane, right. you got to take classes in Florida and count those. And then you went back. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. It was just a very weird time. There were so many of us who were displaced. I mean, they took us. We we didn't have transcripts. We had nothing. They oh my uh, they donated all of our books. I mean, I had a a girl um, offer me free housing while I lived there. I mean, it was it was just such a crazy crazy experience. Well, and what were um, your other classmates doing? Did y'all all kind of scatter to different places, basically around? We did. That would essentially take. You in yeah wow yeah oh, I yeah no there idea. were yeah there were probably eight of us who went to the university of florida so people who were native floridians people who had yeah. gone to the university okay. of florida already um so there was a nice little group of us 
Um, and I already knew people who went to school there because right. I'm from Florida. So, I mean, right, it made, right, it made right. a, a good right. natural fit. I want to yeah. pause you right there. Just I know this might feel like a bunny trail stuff to you, but to me, this is spot on because <laughs> who better for current lawyers to hear from about resilience and about, I mean, worldwide events, literally, not just things that happen in your life, but literally you've talked about two big national things that mm-hmm. absolutely displaced and upended you. At a time, it's already really stressful. As a 2L, trying to get your job, what is my future? I'm going to have to take the bar. I'm going to say goodbye to a bunch of people I love, which you had to do sort of prematurely and horribly. And so with some of the time we have, I'm curious to know, like, what was it like when you faced pandemic? Were you like, you know what? I've kind of been through a couple of blender sausage grinder type things. Or was it like PTSD, like, oh, no, not again? Or what was your kind of process as you sort of approached all the changes that we've had in the last 15, 18 months. Wow. Um, oh, I've never really thought about it that way. <laughs> good, good question. Sorry. Um, she didn't know I... there were any hard questions. <laughs> audience, so be, be kind. I know, right? Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't think about it at all in those terms. Yeah. Um, obviously everything I've lived through has prepared me for what comes next. Yeah. Um, I, I fell apart frankly, at the start of the pandemic, I was completely freaked out. Um, I had, I had quit law firm life in November uh, of 2019. Okay. So there was not, we're fast forwarding ahead. Um, and real quick, like, had you worked at one firm during that time? You, you, we, (laughs) Jesus God, no. Okay. (laughs) I can't even tell you how many jobs I've had. I'd have to literally sit here and count, but there were several. Did you ever do the the prosecution or or criminal defense? I did. I started out as a public defender, um, which I don't even typically talk about because it's so irrelevant to my life now. But yes, (laughs) at the time, it was really, really important to me. It was a big deal. And then I started doing it and then was like, oh, I don't like this. Um, I was like, there's no need for me to continue in this vein because right. I do not like it. And at least you're um, able to name that and, and kind oh, of yeah. recognize because some Very people sort of get to that point where they're like, but what else do I do? And kind of right. So listen, what does Winter Wheeler do? Winter Wheeler quits her job because she genuinely believes she can do absolutely anything. Yeah, and nothing will go wrong. Thankfully, that's actually been the case. You, so but, but, but you only know that really if you try that, honestly. Right. I, I think that's right. Very first, most of my first half of my career, sort of, you know, playing it safe and doing, you know, not the exact same thing everybody else was, but I didn't have that risk sort of tolerance, you know, like it'll work out. It'll be okay. You know, um, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, can I keep things real simple and, you know, just definable and neat? So there's something, yeah. something attractive about that, that sort of resilience and that spirit, I say, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not risk averse. <laughs> at all apparently um so i quit my job i moved home i did exactly what i wanted to do was, you know three years earlier when i was finishing college and my parents were just kind of like all right here she is i mean i should have done it in the first place anyway you moved home home at that point you basically i moved home at that point coming home now at least you had the the degree and yeah Yeah, i guess they were okay because i i was employable they knew that um so yeah i quit my job i left basically everything i had in tampa and um if it didn't fit in my car it didn't come and wow. i moved back home 
But this is how we finally get into how I got the mediation bug, right? Yeah. I started working pretty quickly at a civil defense firm of the the largest um, civil defense firm in Florida, actually, and loved it. (laughs) I went to mediation a lot. It's mandatory in Florida in every case. So I was doing mediations all the time. My boss was amazing. And he let me just kind of have at it. And like, even um, like, more than average, you know, number of oh, cases. Far more. Like he's like, let's give you the mediations because you're you're going in there and good stuff is happening one way or another. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing mediations all the time, at least yeah. every week. And um I really admired this one particular mediator and he became my mentor. Wow. Way back then. So we're talking two thousand seven. Okay. And I, you know, I, I had identified mediation as something that I wanted to do. I loved the process. I loved what I was able to do for my clients. And I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be the mediator sitting in that chair going between both rooms. And um, Another I want to pause be- there. You got there about like 15 years ahead of me because <laughs> I've, I've been only in recent years realized, what am I doing litigating? I don't want to ever again. I've got a few cases I'm, I'm winding down. And mm-hmm. I am so much more at home in the mediation space or in the collaborative law space. It took me a long ass time to figure that out. <laughs> so I admire your, your spotting that and going, I, that's me. I resonate with that. Cause I, I think I had some of that and I did get certified in like 2009. It took me a while to say, that's what I want to really go for and develop, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I figured that out very early. But the advice that I received and, and I'm really grateful for is um, he said, go and litigate. Sure. Litigate, litigate, litigate. Get the experience. Um, if you want to be a very successful mediator, which is what I wanted. If you want to make a lot of money, which is what I wanted. You have to earn the respect of the lawyers around you. That's exactly and you're right. only going to do that by by litigating for a very long time. Right. Otherwise, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Otherwise, you know, you spend all of your time trying to prove to lawyers that, that you know what you're doing. And I don't right. have to do that at this point um, as far as the law goes. You know, right. Law- lawyers was, are lawyers and I can right. talk about them because I am one. So. Right. When I taught when I taught law school, actually, I had a lot of students who would introduce to the idea of ADR during law school. And they would come and sit down in my office here for office. I was like, when I quit this law school, I want to be a mediator. And I'm like, Okay, hold on. Um, you're yeah. not going to be able to step right out there and do it unless you maybe do some kind of community agency or some kind of program where they're trying to provide mediation for a particular set of things or something. You know, I'm not going to say it's not possible. Generally speaking, I know the people that I would choose as mediators tended to have some, you know, gray hair and had been around the block a few times because that's the sort of know-how they could bring to help clients sometimes see different perspective and say, well, you know, we know how this plays out, blah, blah, blah. So that sounded like it was good advice. So you took that and continued doing litigation primarily on the defense side then? Yeah, primarily on the defense side. I did do some plaintiff's work, um, but it just didn't fit my personality very well. Yeah. Um, It was, at the time, it felt like too much... um, it was too much handholding for me at the time. Sure. It was a lot of phone calls. It was a lot of I need this, I need that, and it was, it was just not 
it didn't fit me in in at all at the time. Um, I would probably be okay with it now. Yeah. now I've got four children now. Right. <laughs> Responding <laughs> to needs is, is kind of yeah something you developed, <laughs> of course. Yes, exactly. I didn't have it for a very long time, and so I. But I did. I spent fourteen years kind of developing all of those skills and focusing on. Uh, meeting as many people as I could, uh, making as many friends as I could, developing real relationships, um, because I knew what I was trying to do and I knew it was going to be very difficult. Yeah. So yeah, that's you what had I did. A goal as you're as you're litigating, you're you're you've got a vision for one day. I'm not going to just be doing this. I'm going to be in that chair, you know, at yes. a different place at the table. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that changes the perspective, I would imagine, though, because you oh, can kind yeah. of get through some of the drudgery or the challenges because you're like, you know, I'm not here forever. I'm here to get my skill set and and credibility up. But I've got a destination. That and exactly. that helps a lot, I would imagine. You know. I, I think that it did. I mean, the, the days it, it, trying to figure out what I was doing for six minutes every day was Yes. <laughs> Oh my it gosh. was it was crazy i i i mean i can't like i was thinking about it today like how did you do that for as long as you did um yeah. but yeah you know I, I i did it i knew that i wanted to be a career mediator i did not want to be a retired mediator right um that's not what i wanted i wanted to change what mediation looked like Yes. Um, how I knew that in 2007, I have no idea. It's probably divine intervention or something. Sure. <laughs> so I take so no credit. credit I take no credit for it. <laughs> so take us to then. So now we can kind of come back to November 2019. You have been working, uh, doing defense work for a while. You've mm -hmm. been. How long have you been with that particular firm at that point in time? Oh, I'm just shy of two years, okay. I think. Um, okay. But this firm, I was so deeply entrenched in what they were doing. I had, I mean, if there was Kool-Aid, I, I drank all of it. Um, <laughs> it, mainlined it, whatever. Listen, I was, I was on the hiring committee. I was on the diversity committee. I was all about this place. I loved it. I, I mean, I still love these people. Sure. I, you know, but it was... I mean, I was in it. I was yeah. in it, in it, in it. And I was like, well, maybe I'll I'll, um, I'll litigate longer than I thought I was going to. That's okay. kind of where I was. And then when I made that ridiculous decision, I think it had more to do with that sense of fear that was finally starting to show up. I'd never been afraid of anything. and But now I have four children. Oh. Um, my youngest is three now so he was obviously much younger then and um there was this sense of well <laughs> well winter can you actually do this can you make that transition can you make enough money um and i and i was not cognizant of it at the time but i was definitely afraid and i thought well maybe i'll litigate i'll continue to litigate Things started to get very difficult for me at the firm. Oh, wow. In, like almost instantly, right after I made that decision. Like in what sense? And, oh, God. Um, I just started having a lot of trouble with my boss where there was no trouble before. Oh, okay. Where I'll just leave it at that. He has since passed. It's, you know, yeah. um, God bless him. Um, and the decision, just so I'm clear, the decision that you made was, okay, I'll stick with it. 
It a was. I, longer, but then yes. that's when things started kind of rain. Yes. Okay. You, you know, when it rains, it pours. It was Fair. kind of okay. like that. Things okay. just started to happen. And I'm, I, I, I think I've mentioned it before. I'm, I'm very big on like signs and what is God doing for me. And, yeah. um, and so then I went from, I'll continue to litigate to I'll litigate and mediate. Cause I got okay. the opportunity to join the mediation firm that I had always wanted to be at. So okay. I, you know, like I said, I make these decisions very early on and work towards them for a very long time. Yeah. I made the decision that I was going to join this mediation firm in 2009. Okay. I okay. made that. Was that Miles actually? Was that Miles? Yeah, that's Miles. Okay. For, for listeners yeah. who don't know, Miles is like a kick-ass mediation ADR provider based out of Atlanta. I know they've several friends, people I know mediators are on their roster here in Charlotte, but He's got, you know, a great reputation for, for getting lots of cases mediated and done well. So you identified, you said, I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to do it with them. Yeah. I'm going to follow those folks. Okay. And so Absolutely. you you'd actually signed up to work with them while you're still at uh, the defense firm. At the law firm. Yes. Yeah. So the, okay. I think I signed up with Miles in uh, September. Potentially. I mean, I hadn't been trained as a mediator. I had done nothing. <laughs> oh, you hadn't even gotten the certification or anything? No. Uh-uh. Nothing oh, at all. I got the cool. I got the opportunity to sit down with John Miles. And okay. I mean, we didn't tell like I fangirled like bad. <laughs> it oh, was so precious. funny. He kind of laughed at me. But I was so excited. Like I had wanted to work with him for a really long time. And, you know, I'm um I always describe myself as a socialite. There's really no other way to put it. Sure. Um, and I, I was like, I've never met him before, which I thought was odd. I've been here for, I've been in Atlanta for so long. Right. And then when I finally met him and it was like this, this huge opportunity. And I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You know, and I sat down with him maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour. And we talked and, um, at the end of the conversation, he was like, I would love for you to join the panel. And I like literally gasped <laughs> like a child. That's like, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I, and then I was like, oh my God. And then he just laughed at me so hard. <laughs> it's like getting pulled up to, to play guitar with your, or sing with your favorite band. Like, you know, you're there just yes. to the concert. And they're like, hey, why don't you come up and play? Like, Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It oh was definitely gosh. like that. I was like, you know, I've been thinking about this since 2009. Yeah. So when it happened, it was, I mean, it was just, it was huge. And I was not expecting for him to tell me he wanted me to join like that day. Yeah. So, this was information. <laughs> it was amazing. Okay. It was, it was really amazing. Um, love John Miles. I really do. He, um, he's just fantastic. Oh. So anyway, he, he laughs at me. We kind of, <laughs> move on from that and um you know i'm i'm sitting in my office after the fact and just like i'm on cloud nine i'm so excited and i'm telling my law firm i'm telling my partners i'm like this is what's going on like i it, it, it's a huge deal to be asked to be on that panel oh, yeah. and yeah, especially yeah. you know what was i 38 and um yeah, you're, you're young a, for that because a lot of the, yes. a lot of it takes you have to kind of have built a rep for a while Correct. Even as a mediator, as I understand it, yeah, yeah, yes, even as yes, as a mediator as well, and um, so it was a big deal. It was a huge deal, and um, the reaction that I got from the firm, I talk about it in my book, um, was not positive. Really? 
Yep. It was Early, not like, like, was it cold shoulder and kind of silence or was it like saying what's going on, you know, really questioning it? Well, quite literally, um, you know, I'm going back and forth with them trying to figure out, you know, I, how I want my career to continue to right. look. What do I want my compensation to look like? Do I still want to be on the partner track? Do I want to get off the partner track? Like, right. All of these decisions. And um, I couldn't figure it out. I just couldn't figure it out. And so I went to this uh, woman that I thought very highly of. She's one of the highest ranking women in the firm. And I thought if anybody is going to be able to help me through this, it's her. Yeah. And um, I could not have been further from the truth. <laughs> oh I gosh. was so wrong. So she, you know, she told me that I was never going to be successful as a mediator. I was too young. I was too inexperienced. I was this, I was that. Um, oh and gosh. she said she, she had no idea why I thought that the firm would be okay with this. I'm not even a partner. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I was in shock <laughs> essentially. She very literally, and I, I will never forget this. She said, winter, if you are working on developing a mediation practice, what kind of horsepower are we getting out of you? And I'm like, did she just call me a horse? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have never, like, I've, ne I had, listen, I had never heard that kind of phrasing be used in relation to an attorney ever. Yeah, that's horsepower. No. Listen, I'd worked in defense firms for, you know, for a very long time. No. So that was, that uh, was off putting to say the least. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Thank you.